are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, April the 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I am Pastor Tom Baker, and we're in the Easter season. And during the Easter season, the reading is not the Old Testament. It's actually a reading from the book of Acts. Then the epistle uh, this coming Sunday, which will be the first Sunday, uh, or second Sunday of Easter, is from Revelation chapter 1. But we're going to be taking a look at the Holy Gospel, which is from John chapter 20, the resurrection of Jesus and his first appearance before the disciples. Now, we need to remember that for Easter Sunday, the reading was from Luke chapter 24. And what it talks about is women going to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And it even names the women in verse 10 of Luke 24. They were Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women. And they came to the tomb, and they were wondering, who's going to roll the stone away? But when they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in to the tomb, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were perplexed about this. So for Easter Sunday, we talked about how we are often perplexed about things, because what that means is we wonder, why is God doing what he is doing? We can be perplexed about, well, the virus that's going through the world at this time, uh, accidents, weather phenomena, various things that are happening in our lives, the death of loved ones, and we are perplexed. The word perplexed means more than just question. It means really questioning God. What is he doing? Well, there were two men at the tomb we read, and they were really angels. And they said to the women, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He has arisen. Then they say something. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, rise. Now, you would think these women did not really hear that, because if they had heard that, why were they coming to the tomb looking for a dead body? Didn't they believe Jesus? And here again, we show the lack of faith, even on the part of believers who loved their Lord Jesus, who saw him do many miracles, but boy, they just couldn't bring themselves around that he was going to be absent from the tomb when they got there. And guess what verse nine or verse eight says? And they remembered his words. And so we kind of use that as the theme for Easter. Why do you come to church? Why do you go to Bible studies? Why do you read the Bible at home? Why do you bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? It's the task of remembering 
what Jesus has done for you. The entire scripture is about what Jesus has done. And we know that from a a later reading on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, Jesus went through the whole Old Testament pointing out passages where he fulfilled what had been written about him. So that was Easter Sunday. Now, for this particular Sunday, we're continuing with the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, but we're moving to John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. On the evening of the first day, that's the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now we know from last week's lesson that the women had, well, when they heard these two angels talk about Jesus rising from the dead, they ran to the disciples, the apostles, to tell them what they had heard. And verse 11 of Luke 24 says, but these words seemed to the apostles to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Isn't that interesting? So that evening, Jesus appears before them and says something that nobody was expecting them to hear. Peace be with you. What peace? He's not talking about the peace of the world. No, we live in a fallen world. We have wars. We have rumors of wars. We have accidents. We have weather phenomena. We have all kinds of things that are happening in our lives. This is not heaven. Heaven is yet to come. But there's still a peace which is referring to the relationship between you and God the Father. He is at peace with you. Why? Well, the disciples didn't even believe that Jesus had risen from the dead when they heard the words from the women. So how could the Father be at peace with them? Because the Father's peace was based not on what the apostles did or their works. It was based on the works of Jesus Christ who died on the cross as the substitute for the punishment of their sins. So, peace be with you. Now, verse 20 of John 20, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Notice, they didn't put their hands in his side or anything. It's because they saw him, and they were rejoicing. And then Jesus continues, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, all the way from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus had one mission. And that was the preaching of repentance 
and the forgiveness of sins. So how is he going to have the apostles do what he did? He says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of anyone they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, what is that talking about? Well, if you've been through confirmation instruction as a child or as an adult, we talk about what is referred to as the office of the keys. The key is to open up heaven, but a key can also lock something. And that's what Jesus is talking about. If the disciples forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If they withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. Now, here it is not clear as to why they would remit sins or why they would not forgive sins. But the rest of the Bible, many places, makes it clear. The only time that sins are withheld from someone is when the person is not repentant of a particular sin. In fact, there's another practice we have in the church called excommunication. And what does that mean? It kind of means exactly what is said by the word, excommune. In other words, you are not permitted to receive the benefits of the church, number one being receiving the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. Why would you be withholding that from people who are sinners? Because before every service where we have the Lord's Supper, even at times we'll have the matins, but then before we go to the Lord's Supper, what do we do? We go to a confession of sin and the absolution by the pastor. Upon this, your confession, your sins are forgiven. Why is that important? Because if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, people were getting sick to the point some even died because they were not taking the Lord's Supper properly. That is, they were not aware of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ could refer to two things. On the one hand, it referred to the Holy Christian Church that were part of the body of Christ. But remember, in 1 Corinthians 11, rich people were having big meals and not sharing them with those who had a need, those who were not as rich and could not eat as sumptuously. So they were really criticized for not recognizing the church as the body of Christ. But also, there were those who did not believe that the bread in that we received in, with, and under it the body of Christ, or in, with, and under the wine we received the blood of Christ. Now, that is really happening because Jesus says, take eat, this is my body, take drink, this is my blood, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. So, when does a pastor refrain from forgiving a people? He does that when they are living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin. Uh, for, For example, it was not at all unusual that when I visited various congregations every now and then, you would have two people living together outside of marriage. But that is, of course, either adultery or fornication. And when you met with them, but we love each other. If we didn't love each other, we wouldn't be living together. But God allows us to love each other. And they don't recognize that the love they have is not the word love from John 3.16, for God so loved the world, agape, it's kind of an erotic love, uh, a love of the flesh. And, and therefore, though they think they really love the person, they really don't. Because if they really did, they wouldn't sin with that person. And so there are times when, for example, in one situation, a woman divorced her husband, and she refused to recognize that as being sinful, even though in that particular case it was, and she was excommunicated. Now, this means that she would not be able to be baptized if she hadn't been baptized. She couldn't take the Lord's Supper, and the church would also not give her a Christian burial. So the benefits of the church are excluded in those who are excommunicated. It's very important that a pastor does forgive the sins of people. And that's why we always begin the absolution with, upon this, your confession. Now, the people making the confession know whether or not they're doing it because they sincerely believe they're sinners of thought, word, and deed, and deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Or maybe they're just saying that so that they can still remain a member of the church because there are contacts there for work or other reasons that they don't want to be excluded. So only God knows the heart, but occasionally the pastor will know the heart because of the actions of non-repentance on the part of individuals. So what we have here is Jesus giving to the apostles uh, the right to forgive or the right to withhold forgiveness if there is no repentance. Now, on this first Sunday of his resurrection, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came into that upper room. So later, when the other disciples were with him, they said, we have seen the Lord. Now notice that. They only needed to see the Lord, and they believed. But Thomas says to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
So that's what Thomas says. But then eight days later, on the next Sunday, his disciples were inside that room again, but this time Thomas was with them. Now the doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them. And again he says, peace be with you. Then specifically he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, the next verse, you're expecting that Thomas would do that, put his finger in Jesus' side. But there is no note of that at all. Instead, verse 28 of John 20 says, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Now, here is an apostle of the Lord realizing that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a mighty man. He is God himself. The first time that an apostle speaks of Jesus as God. Well, they spoke of him as prophet, a miracle worker, etc. But as God, first time. And of course, the other disciples, having had seen Jesus the week before, also believed him to be God. Now, Jesus says, after Thomas says, my Lord and my God, here's what Jesus says in verse 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's, there's no touching that Jesus mentions. And if you put yourself in that situation, here you had doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead, but now you see him before you. And he is not hidden from your eyes. In the sense, you do recognize him as the Jesus who was your leader for three years. Remember, the woman at the tomb thought he was the gardener, so she did not recognize Jesus right away. And the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he also was not recognized by them until he broke bread with them later that evening, and they came to understand that he had risen from the dead. So in this case, Thomas is seeing Jesus as he knew him. And he sees also the marks of the nails and also where the spear had entered into his body and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, how does that happen in our lives? Where do we not see Jesus and yet believe? Well, first of all, we need to understand that belief is not something 
that we can do of our own free will. Faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and he works through the means of grace. Now, the means of grace, of course, are word and sacrament. There couldn't be a more holy item to see than the very person of Jesus Christ that Thomas saw there. And when he saw him, saw that he had risen from the dead, he believed and came to full faith. How does that happen for us today? Well, where do we not see Jesus and yet believe that he is present? It occurs in both sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Even when we baptize an infant, we speak of the words of Jesus, permit the little children to come unto me. And therefore, when we baptize a child and put water on the child, and we say, I baptize you into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's really following the command of Jesus when he met with the disciples in Matthew 28 and is reminding them that they too can bring salvation to an individual in the rite and sacrament of holy baptism. For when those words are spoken and the Spirit gives faith to the individual, you don't see Jesus. You see instead a pastor whom Jesus is using, using his hands, his voice, and water taken from maybe the tap in the church to baptize the child or the adult. That's Jesus at work. But then, of course, we cannot forget the other sacrament. When you come to the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. Now, you see bread, you see wine, but you don't see a body in the sense of Jesus appearing to everyone at the Lord's Supper. But the Holy Spirit, who has created faith in you, you believe that what the words are saying is what Jesus meant. This is his body. This is his blood. We do not agree with those who think that when Jesus rose from the dead, he went to heaven, also ascended in his divine nature. And his divine nature also remained on earth, but his human nature is now in heaven. And so they deny that the human nature of Jesus Christ is in, with, and under the bread and the wine. That is a false teaching that wherever Jesus is, he's there in both his divinity and his humanity. Remember, there were only a few places after the resurrection that he appeared to people. One of them, of course, was the disciples in the upper room, and then with Thomas. And then 
He actually appeared to 500 people, it says, after his resurrection. But even after his, after his ascension, he appeared to Silas, who became Paul, on the road to Damascus, and said, it is me whom you are persecuting. And the Holy Spirit created faith in Paul, where he was then baptized and given the wonderful name of being a Christian and became apostle to the Gentiles. And therefore, he used all of his knowledge from the Old Testament not to give the impression that he was saved because he was doing all of those good works, but instead used his knowledge of the Old Testament to show that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies that were told about him throughout the Old Testament. And in a sense, kind of repeated the sermon and the Bible teaching that Jesus had done with the two apostles on the road to Emmaus. See, that's the purpose of worship today, to remind you of what Jesus has done. And when you're reminded of what he has done, that is faith, believing the promises. It says at the end of our reading from John 20, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah in the Hebrew, the Son of God, and that by, this next word's important, by believing you may have life in his name. It's not through obedience that you receive life in the name of Jesus. It is through faith in believing the promises of the gospel. So on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at a hymn, O Sons and Daughters of the King. And we'll examine that from a law and gospel perspective to show that we are saved through faith, not by our obedience, because of what Jesus has done for us. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.